Get the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music guide you through the opaque world of venture capital and reveal all the ways you can source capital for your company's growth. It all starts right here with Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music on VC Confidential. Welcome to VC Confidential. I'm Ann Kennedy, and I'm here with my co-host and partner at Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music, aka my very good friend. <laughs> Together, we serve as the managing directors of the Sibylla Masters Fund. You can learn more about that at masters.vc. Hey, Jillian, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ann? Pretty, pretty good. Good. It's still pretty quiet out there, huh? A friend oh, of mine just yeah. sent me an email the other day and said, it's still Groundhog Day here. <laughs> I what, hadn't what? even thought of that. <laughs> on, on Blur's Day? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, we can always mark our weeks because Monday is VC Confidential Day. So that's that sets the week up It for anchors us. our week. It lets yeah. us know what's up. Yes. Yeah, or, or boots us into the next week, one or the other. Anyway, speaking of which, last week, we opened the conversation on the true cost of venture equity, by which we mean that conventional venture capital, if you will, that most entrepreneurs think about when they say, I'm raising capital, because that's what they say. We <laughs> talked about that fact when, when uh, you take a venture equity investment, you've given shares of your company's stock in exchange for capital to grow your company. Yes, and uh, we talked about the fact that at the earliest stages of building your company, you have to give away quite a bit of your stock in order to obtain a relatively small amount of capital, right? That's when your company is worth the least, if you will, and the valuations are going to be the lowest. So conventional venture capital is actually only suitable for a very small number of companies. In short, you know, almost all entrepreneurs are really better served by leveraging other capital to build their companies. You know, I think the VCs would say the same thing. And um, venture capital was designed to fund innovation. It was understood to be hugely risky for the investors. Only a small group of the companies that would take the investment would ever come out with any kind of serious ROI. But the object of the game was to really, you know, build those moonshots, uh, quite literally, to, to build the companies that would develop the technologies that would power the next generation. And that continues till today, and it makes good sense, but only a small group of those companies really, really qualify. I mean, just witness, you know, 4% of a venture capital fund is going to carry the entire fund, and 0.006% of any company ever gets VC money, right? So we're pretty small numbers here. Right. Since we covered the basics of conventional venture equity last week. And believe me, we'll take a lot more deep dives into that opaque world over the coming months. Um, but today, Jillian, let's talk about the basics of venture debt funding. Good Let idea. our listeners <laughs> in on some really good ideas for the other 96% of the companies. 
that yeah, keep funding. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's 96% of the companies that get funding and maybe a lot more companies would get funding um, for their, you know, growth and, and development and so on if we had better ways to do that. And at this point, we're finally getting them. And you and I are playing that game at the Master's Fund, right? I'm pretty excited about it. So let's dive in. Let's start with a definition. All right. Turning to Investopedia, our favorite, <laughs> debt financing is capital that is borrowed by a company. Well, that seems pretty straightforward, right? Yep. 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 So in, far, so good. So far, so good. Got it. Debt financing. Okay. In return for lending the money, the individuals or the institutions become creditors and receive a promise that the principal and interest on the debt will be repaid. But that's not quite what we're talking about, is it, Jillian? Mm, quite right. Equity financing is selling stock in exchange for capital, right? And that's to be used for the growth of a company. That's commonly used by those early stage tech companies. So far, so good. Debt financing is borrowing money. So that can be borrowed from a bank, a private lender, an institution, right? Just like you just said. It can be collateralized. You can leverage real estate for hard money, commercial bridge loans. Uh, factories are often leveraged that way. The equipment inside them can be collateralized for a loan. You can do it from a bank. You can do it from these secondary markets like the hard money guys. So capital for like that, that can be used for a wide variety of pur uh, purposes. You know, it can be used for working capital. It can be done, you know, work with uh, capital expenditures to get new equipment. You can renovate buildings, all kinds of stuff. Now, venture debt is a bit of a hybrid. Generally, the company issues shares of stock to the investors in exchange for capital. So in that way, venture debt's like ec venture equity. But unlike venture equity, the company also signs an agreement, it's usually part of the same one really, right, to make payments to return that capital with interest to the investors on a preset schedule. And that way, it's kind of like venture, well, it would be like, you know, just debt financing, right? It's a loan, but it's collateralized with the stock. The stock serves as collateral and it's returned to the company as the payments are made. And yeah. And as always, the devil is going to be in the details. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's a so, lot more. <laughs> there's a lot more to know and we're going to keep going. Um, so tell our listeners some of the nuances of venture debt. And then we'll talk about which entrepreneurs are better served by venture debt. And finally, how they can go about obtaining it. So, start. I mean, with, they're going to have to listen to the end. That's Man, right. Absolutely. Taskmaster. <laughs> well, you know, but hey, we're interesting. You know, people okay. say they love us. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will strive to be interesting. Here's what. Yes. Here's what. Okay. So, you know, I used to say that all the time. It's what was it? You share what you would have given your left arm to have known about when you needed it and you didn't know it, right? That's what we're going to do. So let's start with the most common types of venture. Well, bridge loans or term funding straight out. Um, it Again, the stock collateralizes the loan. And I kind of get this, guys. You know, the stock isn't worth a damn if the company can't pay the loan. But that's just most of the time. So again, we'll dive into more of that later. Bridge loans, still collateralized with stock, could be just an easy type of venture debt. Okay, very short term. Usually it's just a few months, usually less than 12. Um, and again, these are usuallys. They're not sealed in stone, folks. Revenue share loans, the most common one, right? And most of what we do in, uh, you know, at, at the master's fund, at other such funds, 
it's revenue share stuff. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll start naming some names around VC uh, or uh, venture debt companies, actually, that will work in this kind of uh, realm. So you can start taking some notes about that. Now, revenue share loans are really midterm growth capital. Um, you use it for growing the company. You do this uh, at the earlier stages as we play at the master's fund, right? At earlier stages at the turn of revenue. At later stages, you do it when you've got like six months rolling revenue. It's increasing over time. Now you've gotten to kind of that, that benchmark, you, your critical mass. You've got to get more capital to increase a whole number of things. Again, nuances around that. You'll pay more for the earlier stage, less at the later stages, but you're not giving away everything from, you know, control of your company to uh, making promises to sell. So dividend models, that's the long-term engagement. Bridge loans, short-term. Revenue share loans, mid-term. Dividend models, long-term. Dividend models, they're, they're just like the regular uh, public dividend model, right? Again, you've got stock. The stock comes with the rights to um, share in the revenues of the company and how that comes together. It's never top line revenue, folks. You know, it, it's more complicated than that. But you, when a dividend is declared, the investors all get a piece of it and we can dig into exactly how each one of those works. The broad brush stroke is that a founder or founder group is generally the largest shareholder of their newly formed company. They do not wish to sell. They do not wish to go public. So they have dividend investors who say, yeah, we'll go with you for the long haul. Right? This could go to your children's grandchildren's grandchildren, right? It, it doesn't matter. A dividend model can go on forever. And when a dividend is declared and generally in the agreement, there are certain benchmarks or uh, ringers that say, when this happens, you will declare a dividend, right? That's when the investors get pieces of capital back. That's the ROI. At no term uh, is, or at no time, is it expected necessarily that the shares will be repaid purchased by the company, although that too can be written into a dividend model. Okay, so um, short-term, mid-term, long-term engagements. And then there's things like royalty and licensing agreements. Those are actually part of the revenue share loan process. Um, if you have a royalty agreement uh, or licensing arrangements for a particular piece of IP, this might work for, um, I don't know, a technical piece of IP. It could work for um, uh, pharma, uh, other kinds of medical uh, supplies and so on, right? If it has a patentable piece of IP that could be licensed to others to use, then you get things like royalties. And when the royalties come in or the licensing agreement capital comes in, that's when the investors will start sharing. So it's a little like the dividend model, but it's also like a revenue share model, right? When it comes in, they will get a piece of the action, um, but it can go on forever. Right, you got a nice piece of royalty, go on forever, but you could again mark in that you've agreed that at some point it will end. Like we will share in royalties from year five to 15. So you've got 10 years worth of royalties, but you're not taking it from the super early no returns years of years one to five. Or oh. you could just say, we'll take it for 15 years. Uh, well, okay, so now that's getting pretty clear, but I am sure there are more devilish details. And right now we have to take a break for our sponsors. So we'll be right back with some more insights into the world of venture capital on VC Confidential. 
More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one training a weekly podcast for you or your company, distribution to almost every podcast portal, an embeddable player for your website, an ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts, and much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. And Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music talking about what you as an investor, advisor, or entrepreneur need to know about venture capital. Before the break, we opened the conversation about venture debt as opposed to conventional venture capital. So we covered what the basics are. And I know pretty well by now, as you do too, Jillian, that there's a lot more to it. So I've heard this term levers in venture debt agreements. Can you, uh, you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, it's really just a lever that, you know, you would talk about, you know, what knobs can I turn or what levers can I pull? So there's nothing unusual or specific about it to the world of finance. It's any agreement, you know, what are the things I can change? Okay. So first thing you want to talk about the valuation, you know, how much stock will you encumber in exchange for this capital, right? You're going to either hand over the stock direct to the investor, or you're going to put it in escrow. There's all kinds of ways that can be managed, but the stock is now encumbered. It is collateral in exchange for the capital you're about to get. So valuation, right? Am I going to be valued at 1 million or 10 million? How much of my stock is going in here? The nice thing, of course, is that you don't, lose it, if you will, forever, right? If you have a $2 million valuation, you're giving away 20% of your company. That's a lot of your stock. I know that you can also dilute it over time. And so it kind of balances a little better into the future. Nevertheless, with equity, you are giving away the largest portion for the smallest amount of money at the very earliest stages. Meaning it's the most expensive funding you will ever choose. 
conventional yeah. venture capital. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They start at things like 10X, right? That's what the, the VCs always want. And we can talk about that, actually. You know, what do VCs ask and what do, yeah. you know, venture debt people ask? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that later. Okay. Um, Okay, repayment schedules. That's a really important one. You could be paying simple monthly payments, right? Um, there are uh, companies, again, you've got six months worth of run revenue and, and, and it's increasing month to month and so on and so forth. The, the most common one we talk about is right here in Seattle, lighter capital. Um, they want three or six months, I think it is, of um, you know trailing or, or uh, prior um uh, revenue. They take a look at that and they say, okay, yes, you're doing well and it's increasing over time. Now, if we give you that amount of capital and you use it for the growth of the other thing and the uh, sales and marketing, whatever, uh, you will then increase your monthly revenue from where you are today to whatever they project. And they say, sure, we will do this and they will lend you that capital. So in that way, simple venture debt, but you start paying 30 days after you take the deal. Right? You take the deal, you sign the papers in December, and by January, you're paying your bill. And you do that in standard monthly installments along the way. It's not cheap capital, but it sure shooting is less than the 10x that the VCs want absolute minimum, or the 100x or the 400x that they hope for. So much less expensive over time. Right? And that's, again, assuming everybody is successful. Can your company return the expected ROI to a fund? And the expected ROIs can be very, very different. So repayment schedule is an important thing. Do you wish to sign a document and begin repaying that loan right now? And is your company capable of it? Now, one of the nice things about the repayment schedules at places like Lighter Capital's venture debt thing is that they are based on this revenue share model. That means it says when your company has X number of dollars in gross revenue per month, you will pay from a percentage of top line revenue, or sometimes it's adjusted gross revenue, um, you will pay back until paid in full. That means if you've made, say, I don't know, $10,000 this month, and it says you're going to pay 10%, then you're going to pay him a grant. That's it. If you pay, you know, get, I don't know, $8,000, you're going to pay them uh, 900 and something, right? It goes down if your revenues go down. It increases if your revenues increase. Suddenly you're making 100000 a month. You're now paying them 10% of a hundred grand. You're not paying them 10% of the 10 grand you used to make. So you might pay it back quite quickly. You might pay it back a little slowly. If COVID happens, things could go up and down, right? That's the leverage you get on these repayment schedules. So simply monthly, simple monthly payments are for kind of later stage companies. And that's when you already have run rate and you've met the requirements and now you're going to start paying. Revenue share agreements, um, I can go up and down with the uh, fortunes of the company, if you will, until paid in full. The royalty agreements, you want to think about how long are they going to last, right? Do I want to share in royalties forever and a day? Do I wish to put in something that says at year five or at year 10, I have the option to purchase this agreement back at some agreed upon sum, um, you know, the value thereof. Um, sometimes that would be, for example, if in year five, the company wishes to purchase back a royalty agreement, they might say, we will purchase it back for the value of three years more or five or even 10 years more based on the run rate of that particular year. 
So let's say first year you made a million bucks, second year you made three million bucks, third year you made 10 million bucks, and oh man, we're buying that stuff back. But it's going to be $10 million times the next five years or the next 10 years in order for the company to buy it back. Can the company do so? Can you make payment arrangements? Do you have to make it a lump sum? What will be good for the investor as well as for the company? So you can put those kinds of nuances into royalty agreements as well. Um, dividend models. And oh, and of course, in the royalty agreement, you want to know how much they're going to get. You're going to get 1% of the royalties, half a percent, or you're going to get 10%. You know, these things change dramatically depending on how much capital was uh, invested, at what stage of your company's existence it was invested, before or after you uh, patented whatever the heck it was. And uh, was that before or after somebody agreed to pay you for whatever the heck it was? Right? Those kinds of things will change those numbers. And then in the dividend models, um, you know, again, a repayment schedule on that is expected to simply go on forever. And like a royalty agreement, you might want to buy back those dividend-bearing shares at some time, and you could even write that into your agreement at some kind of points of leverage or time or combination of both. You say the company has the rights to make an offer to repurchase and, and the investors will want some rights also either to keep or send it back. So you take a scalpel to these kinds of things and you work it out between all parties. So that also kind of uh, brings up to another lever is uh, uh, what happens to the stock when the capital is received. You just were yeah. touching on that before. <laughs> Right. So, so you want to, you know, these are the things you want to look at your valuation now before you get into this, right? How are you going to repay this thing? What kind of, uh, you know, shares you're going to give and what kind of uh, payments you'll be making and when will you get them back and so on. And then what happens to that stock? Is the capital, is the stock actually going to go into the possession of the investor and then the investor kind of sells it back to the company as the company makes payments? Is that how the agreement is written? Or will it simply go into um, a, uh, an escrow account and it's encumbered? In other words, the company cannot sell it. They can't leverage it in any other way. And in the event that they are unable to pay maybe for a month, maybe for three months, maybe for 10 months, who knows? Again, you decide at what point it kind of defaults to the fact that the investor now owns that stock. And how much of the stock will they own if some of this is defaulted? All of it? Um, you know, what's the hit? That kind of thing. Now, we touched on this thing, you know, about what what's the worth of it? If the, you know, if the loan can't be paid, who cares about the stock? Yes and no, kind of. Uh, assuming that the company is not really on rough times, but it's plowing its capital into, uh, you know, R&D and this and that and not focused as much on sales at the moment because it sees, for example, that the first piece of IP ha it has is either being encroached upon by other companies in the field or maybe it's becoming old, if you will. Nobody's going to do it that way anymore. Now, if they plow it into R&D so that uh, because fewer people are buying the old technology and the new stuff is about to come through and the new stuff is going to be worth a fortune. At that point, it's actually kind of a good idea for the investors to say, you know what, don't pay us anymore. We're going to hang on to the stock. We're going for the ride. Now you're an equity investor instead of a debt investor. You're going to take the stock, not the capital payments, right? And then you go along for the ride. So it isn't always that the stock isn't worth anything if the company can't pay. 
So uh, that uh, brings up an interesting point. You know, uh, venture funding for equity talks about valuation. I mean, valuation is the thing, right? Right. So how, does venture debt increase your valuation? No, not so. It goes on your debt line, doesn't go on your equity line, right? When you have an equity investment, somebody's put that money in, they have a piece of the stock, whether diluted or not, this and that. The stock is the entire company value, if you will, right? And the fact that there's more capital in the company increases valuation. When you take a debt that you have not just intended to pay, you have a written agreement that says you're going to pay it, that goes in the debt line. So the question is, should you take any venture debt if you're going to go for equity later? Right? That could be a problem. <laughs> well, that's a really good question. Um, and I think in the uh, third segment, we will get to how you decide how an entrepreneur a find, find, founder decides what uh, to do in this. But before we do, it's before we go to break, I just have one question. You know, sure. why... Does venture equity feel so good and venture debt feels so scary? Why would I want to take capital I have to pay back? That's why it feels scary, yes. Equity, cash, I don't have to pay that back. Wait a minute. That's what it feels like. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Exactly, right. That's why it feels so good. People look at venture equity. I mean, otherwise incredibly intelligent human beings who are CEOs of of really good startups, right? Will look at this and go, I got to get venture equity because I don't have to pay it back. You do. And you're going to pay it back in huge numbers. And even when one is intellectually aware of it, the medulla, the emotions, those kinds of things in the body are, if you will, averse to the fact that you must look at paying back that debt now and you can see it, right, with the cerebral cortex. <laughs> yeah. I kind of can't see it yet. I know that I'll share in the benefit, but I do not have to pay it back while I'm growing my company. Well, yeah. very got- good reasons, by the way, to take that venture equity when that's the kind of, of thought process you have, depending yeah. on the size of your company. And after the break, we are going to come back and talk about who should be taking a venture debt and the kind of questions they're going to get asked. So we must take another break for our sponsors. You are listening to VC Confidential. We will be right back more ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let webmasterradio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. Webmasterradio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. 
Learn more on WPEngine.com. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. We are so glad you joined us. In the last segment, uh, we talked about how to define venture debt, what it is, what some of the nuances, you know, those devils in the details stuff. Now, let's talk about how founders can determine if they should take it at all. Let's start with what's the limit of liability to an entrepreneur in venture debt compared to venture equity? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the limit of liability is actually the same for the uh, entrepreneur. The entrepreneur accepts capital, whether for equity exchange, in other words, you gave him stock, or in exchange for a debt agreement, you agreed to pay back, with the same amounts of liability. It ends with the company itself. And that's because the companies are C-corporations. Right. If it's not a C corporation, if it's an LLC, right, then you have to decide if you're going to personally uh, sign for it or not, right? And that's part of the agreement itself. Generally speaking, it ends with the company. Make sure that it does when you take a venture debt agreement, right? Make sure that your attorney understands, not you, but your attorney understands the language. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, right. Real good point there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Don't you often say, Anne, that uh, you know when you read a document that's in legalese, you always think it means exactly the opposite of what it just said? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. I've learned that about myself. So <laughs> just my thought process is definitely yeah. is not didn't go to law school so yeah. um so so here i am the company you make sure that it does yeah so okay here i am i'm a suzy q founder how do i know if i should take the venture equity or the venture debt funding route? well my first question to you is do you you know what's your exit strategy you want to sell your company no, so, yeah. <laughs> forget it. Just go venture debt. That's easy, yeah. right? I mean, you can make a flow chart on this. Yeah, right? we should. We should make yeah. a flow chart and post it up on Outlines Venture Group. Uh -huh. um, so here's the thing. If you want to sell your company as quickly and expeditiously as possible, then venture equity may be your right route. If you don't, then immediately venture equity is not your correct route. Okay. Now, with venture debt, uh, you can keep control of your company, you can run it for the long term, and you don't have to sell your company in order to retire the obligation, right? The obligation goes for both equity or debt. The debt obligation is easier to retire without having to close the company. Okay, that's then. how you know. Yeah. Second question, you want to control your own company? Of course. Of course, right? Yeah. Yes and no. And everybody kind of does, but you should know the risks, right? Now, while you might get, and for example, at Master's Fund, you will get a seat on the board of directors given to the, uh, to the investor, right? You will put them on your board of directors. Uh, you don't necessarily lose control of your company, right? As soon as you have taken venture equity capital, you work at the pleasure of your board and you can be replaced. With a debt venture, yes, at Master's Fund, you're going to get one of us is going to take a seat on that board for the term of the agreement. 
And then we will remove or we make a separate agreement with you if you'd like one of us individually to remain on your board for some good reason or another, right? That's a different matter, right? But you can retire that, right? It is, if you will, a temporary position. We make sure that the company stays focused on revenue, on growth, on stability, on longevity, all of those things to the mutual benefit of investor and company. Presumably, that's exactly what happens with a venture capitalist in a conventional venture equity agreement. And yes, it often does. But the, uh, how should I say, the, the likelihood of being replaced increases with time. Time is a risk factor for all parties. The more quickly you can get in and out of the financial arrangement here and keep running your company under its own steam, the stronger you will be in your position individually as a founder or a senior leadership member. And the faster and better off the investor will be too, right? When the investors can get their capital out sooner, they can charge less money for it. Yeah. When they have to tie it up longer, they can't. Makes perfect sense. So yeah. when should I consider taking venture debt? Well, a number of different times. Uh, how about just before you take uh, Series A, for example? Okay. Uh, yeah. If you haven't quite gotten to all of the benchmarks that you want to before you start negotiating the valuation of your company for a real Series A equity investment, venture debt's a really good uh, thing to do. Now, you want to retire that debt before you get to the VCs, or you want to achieve such high benchmarks that, I don't know, let's say you come in and you're kind of valued at about a million bucks. Right. By the time you've used the uh, capital received from a venture debt agreement, you are now a $10 million company. Significant increase, order of magnitude. Now you're going into the VC with a lot more power. Now, if you're, ra- you're a $10 million company and you're raising $5 million from the VCs, post-mill $15 million, uh, retiring a debt of, I don't know, half a million or three-quarters of a million dollars, who cares? Right? You get the idea. Now, yep. if it right, if you take a two million dollar venture debt uh, loan, and now you want to go for equity, uh, you know, investment, and you're only at three or five million, they're going to say, "Wait, two million of this is going to go to the, you know, the debt retirement?" No, I don't think so. And then you've got a problem in raising your Series A. So be careful. Um, you want to think about venture debt at the first turn of revenue. In other words, the first time you receive revenue, it's time to consider, do I need more capital than I'm about to make from my sales in order to increase my sales, right? Have you made a few sales to consumers? Have you made a few B2B sales? But now you need to put a team on the ground, I don't know, internationally, it costs a lot. And, you know, can you take a venture debt piece for that, increase sales dramatically, retire the debt, and then go off and do whatever you want, whether that is go get venture equity for, you know, the quick ride up, you know, to the uh, billion dollar mark, or whether it's simply to continue to operate your company, but at a much higher level. So Uh, that's great. We're out of time. How did that happen? So much more. Can we do more of this again? Yes, I think we will uh, follow up next time with uh, even more details on this. They really are devilish, but uh, we got to call it a wrap for this episode of VC Confidential. So we invite you to join us each Monday as we take a deep dive into the world of venture capital and share what we've learned and ideas that we've observed on the inner workings of that shrouded corner of business finance known as venture capital. We'd like to thank our producers at WMR.FM who agreed to take a chance on our new show, VC Confidential. 
Thanks, guys. You can listen to future shows right here on WMR.FM and in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. You will find all our CEO Coach podcasts there as well. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music, and we're so glad you joined us on VC Confidential. You can find out more about us at OutlinesVenture.com. Till next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.